0: Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Joy Surykson with BelieversBibleSchool.com. Thank you for joining me today in this podcast as we continue to do a verse by verse study in the book of Acts. And we have advanced our way to chapter 13, and we will cover all 28 chapters of the book of Acts before we complete this series. And in chapter 13, which we are about to enter in, begins with the commissioning and the laying on of hands over Barnabas and Saul for the work of the of missionary work in Asia Minor. They began on the island of Cyprus and they traveled to Asia Minor, which is also known as Galatia Gl- uh, up in that area, to bring Christ. To a pagan world. So let's begin as we start with verse 1 of chapter 13 of the book of Acts. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, Saul and Barnabas had returned to Antioch, we know, from delivering support for the church in Jerusalem because of the poverty, and they had collected from the believers in Antioch and brought it down to help the believers there. But they brought back with them John Mark to come along as their assistant. John Mark happened to be the cousin of, of Barnabas. Colossians 4.10 tells us that. And Barnabas felt that John Mark would be a valuable part of the ministry because he grew up in Jerusalem. And he also was an eyewitness of many of the events in Jesus' life. And as such, he had firsthand knowledge of many of the things of what our Savior had been doing while walking on the earth. So the five church leaders consisted of certain prophets and teachers. And let, uh, let me go over them. Barnabas and Saul, we already know about. But then there's Simeon, called Niger, meaning black, probably from Nigeria, which is in Africa who possibly could have been that same Simeon who carried Jesus cross as we see in the 23rd chapter of Luke while Jesus was walking up the road to Calvary to be crucified? Then we have Lucius of Cyrene who was a North, uh, Cyrene was a North African town on the northern coast of what is known today as um, Libya and lucius could have been that same lucius who um whose uh greeting Paul conveyed to the church in rome from corinth we don't know that but um uh romans 16:21 speaks of of uh, lucius okay manian who grew up with herod the tetrarch the one who herod the tetrarch was the one who had John the Baptist beheaded and presided over Jesus' trial. As we see in Luke 23, Manion, he turned away from that way of life because he became a believer in Jesus and he became a leader in the church of Antioch. So that takes us to verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Laying hands on people, just as it was done with the deacons over Stephen and some of the other, the seven uh, deacons, the laying on of hands actually was a formal commissioning to the work of the ministry. And so Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas, I should say, they were ordained by, by God before the laying on of hands. But this commissioning made it official. So, sensing a need to seek God, these leaders, went to fasting and praying. And we see, again, fasting and praying do go together. Because when you fast and when you pray, your spirit is more attuned to the voice of God than if you are filling your body with the needed food that is needed to continue on with your lives but when you fast you take that away from from your body and you become you just become more attuned to the lord so these leaders they fasted they prayed and they ministered to the lord in prayer And as such, God revealed to them that Barnabas and Saul were called by God to accomplish his purpose to be missionaries for Jesus Christ to other lands. That means to Gentile lands. Now we had were Peter, Peter witnessed and brought several Gentiles into the body of Christ when he was in Caesarea, and now we have Saul and Barnabas being commissioned out to go to the Gentiles in other lands. So then, how did these leaders hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? It was not an audible voice, but it was that inward voice, that witness as the Holy Spirit was leading them to separate Barnabas and Saul to be missionaries to other lands for the gospel. So in Acts chapter 9, God revealed that Saul was called by God to be a chosen vessel to bear the name of Jesus before Gentiles. So his commission by God was already established. It was also to go before kings, and the children of Israel. So what we have here is a very serious call from God for Saul, but it also said that he would suffer much for the gospel. And after prayer and fasting, now hearing the instruction of the Lord, these leaders and it made it official by laying hands on Barnabas and Saul in prayer, and then sent them out as missionaries for God. And again, this is the first formal commissioning of the church. So, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John, meaning John Mark, as their assistant. So what we have here is with the blessings of the believers in the church of Antioch, under the anointing and the calling of the Holy Spirit, Barnabas as its leader, Saul, along with John Mark as their assistant, walked the 16 miles to Seleucia, which was a port city, and there they boarded a ship to sail to the island of Cyprus. Kind of an interesting note, the island of uh, Cyprus was the birthplace of Barnabas, and Barnabas was a Levite Jew, And it is possible that their first stop of Salamis uh, Salamis might have been the city where Barnabas grew up in. He may have had family there to greet while on the island. Maybe that's why they stopped at Salamis. But in Salamis, because it was a city, had a synagogue, And both Barnabas and Saul, assisted by John, Mark, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they came there to worship as a Jew in the synagogue. However, they were now what you would call fulfilled Jews. Fulfilled Jews, meaning they believed in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Their Messiah Messiah had already come. So now they're being sent out as missionaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and their purpose was to share the gospel with these Jews in the synagogue here. So with Paul being a Pharisee, now he's 30 years old, he's qualified to be in the ministry, and this gave an advantage because Pharisees were always welcome in the synagogue to share from the scriptures. That you know, see, they Pharisees were considered learned men. And remember that Saul, he was he studied under Gamma, Gamaliel, who was a top rabbi of his day. Uh, but when he was converted, he was only twenty-seven years old, twenty-six, I think, years old, and. In order for a Jew to be in ministry, to be accepted, and in this case as a Pharisee, he had to be 30 years of age. So now he is qualified. Now we don't know how long they stayed in Salamis. Could have been one Sabbath. Maybe they were just simply passing through on their way to Asia. So now we have them, they're traveling throughout the island, and verses 6 and 7 says, (coughs) Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. Now this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Called as missionaries for Christ, Barnabas and Saul, assisted by John Mark, witnessed for Jesus as they traveled the 90 miles across Cyprus and then they came to the city of Paphos. And by this time, it was well known who they were. So, in other words, the Sergius Paulus, this proconsul or governor of Cyprus, was well aware of what um, Barnabas and Saul were doing on the island. Now, the capital city of Paphos was on the west coast, so they traveled all the way from the east coast to the west coast of the island and barnabas and saul and john mark quickly saw the immorality and the spiritual darkness that really which was common across the pagan world throughout the roman empire but they definitely saw it on the island here and as part of the pagan worship Venus was the goddess of love, and she was the main goddess of worship on the island. Now, while Barnabas and Saul were ministering in the city of Paphos, an unexpected thing happened. The proconsul, or you can say the governor, wanted to hear the word of God. Sergius Paulus he was hired by the Roman government to oversee this entire province on the island. He was their proconsul. And upon meeting the proconsul, Bartimus and Saul also met a sorcerer named Bar which means son of Jesus, who was a false prophet and an advisor to the proconsul. And he also had another name called Elimus. So the Roman world, I need to uh, point out here, the Roman world was filled with superstition. And uh, what you would find is a lot of uh, aristocratic leaders, they would keep their, their private wizards or fortune tellers who dealt in magic and spells. Jesus or Ilimus, um knew that, If this proconsul was won over to Christianity, his days of being an advisor for the proconsul were over. So then we see in verse 8, and Elimus the sorcerer, or so his name is translated, withstood him seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So while Paul and Barnabas were ministering the word of God to this proconsul, Bar-Jesus was doing everything he could to turn the proconsul against the words spoken out by Saul and Barnabas. Now what's interesting, a note here, now is referred to Saul and Barnabas instead of Barnabas and Saul and we are going to find out from this point on in scripture saul will also be called paul and in other words saul he he's ministering to a gentile audience so he choo- chose to use his greek name to the gentiles but when he ministered to the jews he would use his hebrew name of saul and so Um back then, because where they are at, it was a Gentile Greek-speaking society, it also was common for many Jews to have two names, their Hebraic name, as well as a Greek name. So um, now they are reaching a much broader scope of the world, and they are in a Gentile world. So... Uh, Saul was going by the name of Paul. Now it is possible that Saul's father, being a Roman citizen, could have given his son both names because that was a common thing also to do of Saul and Paul. Because Tarsus was a um, a, a Gentile, um, it was a Gentile city, but it was filled with many Jews. You know, we don't, we just don't know, but. Saul was referred to Saul as far as the Jews were concerned when he was in Jerusalem. But now that he's out into other lands, he is being referred to as Paul. And so for us, from this point on, we will no longer call him Saul, but we will call him Paul. Verse number nine Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time." Paul was contending with the sorcerer, who we know was a false prophet, and he, he contended with him just for so long before he turned on him and spoke and filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul, using discernment, called him full of deceit and fraud, son of the devil, by goodness and an enemy of righteousness. And then he pronounced judgment, the judgment of God upon him, and Bar Jesus was struck blind. So when the proconsul saw this, awe, I mean, like this fear, awe, respect struck him, and he instantly became a believer in Jesus Christ. And immediately it says here a dark mist fell on him, meaning Bar Jesus, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what was done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Being a leader, especially a government leader, has a huge impact upon the people and in the operation of ruling over the people. And if they're a believer, they're going to bring their faith into um, how they rule over the people. And this can influence many people to come to Christ. It is important to reach these leaders. Okay, verse 13 through 15. Now, when Paul and his party set fa- a sail from Paphos, they came to Persia. Of Pamphylia, they're now crossing water, going into Asia, Asia Minor, and so um where am I here let me let me start in again now. Paul and his party set sail from Paphos. they came to Persia of Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Persia. They came to Antioch of Pisidia, this is a different Antioch, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any words of exhortation for the people, say on. So, This is kind of broken up into two or three different parts, but uh, let's start with verse 13. This missionary group had uh, Barnabas and Paul and John Mark had set sail from Paphos to Persia in Pamphylia on the main line. And I said it was Asia Minor, but it's known really as Turkey today. So, and, And when they arrived on the main line, John Mark chose to go back home to Jerusalem. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us why. Now, I'm sure they had words between them because the, um, Paul did not appreciate this departure, and it put a wedge in between Paul and John Mark, as well as Paul and Barnabas. And really, what this shows us, that even in the work of the ministry of godly men, they are still human and open to problems. We will also see that from this point on, Paul took over the leadership because the scripture now lists the ministry, the missionary team as Paul and Barnabas, not Barnabas and Paul. So Paul and Barnabas left, left Persia and they traveled inland and they went up north up into the mountains for about 135 miles all the way up to Antioch of Pisidia. And back in the first century, Antioch of Pisidia was known as the area of Galatia. And it was here where Paul mentioned that he was ill, having caught some sort of disease, could have been malaria, which may give explanation why they traveled up into the mountains, maybe for fresher air. But on the Sabbath, they went to their local synagogue, and upon arriving, they simply sat down, and immediately the congregation spotted them because they noticed that they were educated uh, Jews. So the order of service began started by opening prayers were offered. And this was a typical um, uh, synagogue, the uh, order of service. So opening prayers were offered, and then there was the reading from the law, meaning the Torah, followed by the reading from the books of the prophets. And as was custom, if there was an educated person present, they would be invited to give words of explanation of the text. In other words, an expository reading of the text that day. And so the rulers of the synagogue came up to Paul and Barnabas and gave an invitation to them that if they had any words, to get up and speak. So at that, the Apostle Paul stood up. Verses 16 through 19. Then Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time he brought them, uh, and he brought them out of it. And verse 18, And now for a time, for about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And verse 19, And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. So then Paul, he gave his customary speech that he would give to Jews, taking the people through the scriptures of what we know of as the Old Testament to bring them, the, them to a point of showing Jesus as their Messiah. So I'm going to go over these verses quickly and just make comment as I go along because this was a typical sermon that the Apostle Paul would preach when he was in a synagogue preaching to Jews. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. So then, the apostle then preached Jesus as their Messiah, born of the seed of David. Verse 24 and 25. After John had first preached, before his coming, meaning John the Baptist, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as, and as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whom, whose feet I am not worthy to loose." So the apostle was continuing on all the way up to the time of John the Baptist, who preached a baptism of repentance as their Messiah and Savior was about to come. Now being very systematic and purposeful, Paul then pointed out how the Jews and leaders in Jerusalem killed their Messiah when he had come. And he ministered to the people, and as the Son of God was faultless, he was pointing out he was faultless in all his ways. And the Jewish leaders despised him, and for selfish reasons and political gain, they used the Roman government to accomplish their purpose in getting rid of him, which we will see now in verse 26 through 29. Men and brethren, son, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should put uh, he, that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. Their Messiah, the prophet, the um, prophesied one for over a thousand years, as shown throughout scripture, he's pointing out, was now dead. This, however, was God's plan to fulfill all that was written about him. He was born to live, to demonstrate the love of God to all people, and he was born to die for the sins of mankind. Verse 30 and 31. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses, his his witnesses to the people. So after the fulfilling of his death, God raised his son from the dead. And as proof of that, Jesus showed himself to the apostles and the disciples for 40 days after his death. And we learn from the very beginning chapter, uh, this was during the time of the Omer that was between the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Pentecost. And then Jesus went back to his Father in heaven. So the Apostle Paul continues under the anointing of God to then preach salvation through Christ to his audience, proving by psalms in the scriptures that Jesus is their Messiah. And he says, verses 32 to 35, And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. It is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. King David here was speaking of Jesus in the Psalms, Jesus as the Holy One of God, who would never see corruption because God raised him from the dead. Okay, verses 36 through 39. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So obviously, King David, he had died and was buried with his ancestors. His body did see corruption, unlike Jesus. Therefore, the Apostle Paul states, Let it be known that through this Jesus, you can receive forgiveness of sins. Everyone who believes in him is justified from all things. Even those things, the law could not justify them. Jesus is far above the law. Jesus does the same thing for us today. We are not under the law because Jesus is above the law. Salvation and eternal life is offered to all who truly believe in Jesus as the Son of God and because of what he has done for us. So then God offers his Son for us and to us in his stead. Verse 40 and 41. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your day, a work which you will by no means believe, though one uh, were to declare it to you. Hmm. So what Paul is doing here is giving a warning to his audience to be aware of, of what he just spoke of would come upon them. In other words, reject and perish or believe and receive what God has offered to you. So this message that I have just read will become familiar words for the Apostle Paul and would be given over and over and over in various synagogues that Paul would minister when he first came into a town and his first time in a synagogue. So that takes us to verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So what I'm saying here is that there there were Gentile proselytes, Gentile God-fearers within that congregation of Jews. Remember, Gentile proselytes were those Gentiles who, who had been proselyted uh, uh, into the Jewish faith. They were circumcised. They uh, probably dressed like Jews. And even though they were Gentiles, they turned from their Gentile ways. They turned from all their pagan gods to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they became a Jew in every other respect. But then you have your Gentile God-fearers, like Cornelius was at first, where they refused to be circumcised. They did not want to live as a, uh, as a Jew, uh, but they would come to the synagogue to hear the word of God. and Many of them honored the time of prayer, but they didn't hang out in the temple at least a lot like the Jews would. So, as such, they understood this message, these Gentile proselytes and Gentile God-fearers, and they wanted to hear more from the apostle. So, the majority of the Jews, however, they were not so receptive to Paul's message. But once the majority of the Jews had left the synagogue, here these proselytes and God-fearers along with, you know, a few of the Jews who had received Paul's message, begged him and Silas to come back the following Sabbath so they could hear more. So then during the week, these proselytes and God-fearers, they went around telling everyone what they had learned about the Messiah, who would save them from their sins and give them eternal life, if they would receive him as their Messiah. They didn't have to follow the law as the Jews so religiously did. And then that would free up any proselyte to no longer have the obligation to follow after the Mosaic law to love the one true God. And this offer of God would relieve the God-fearers who wanted to love God but refused to follow in the ways of a Jew. So in verse 44 and 45, it says, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of god but when the jews saw the multitudes they were filled with envy and contra- uh, uh, contradicting and blaspheming and they opposed them the things spoken by paul the jews they were filled with envy and jealousy that these gentiles whom they had really always despised, would receive God's favor, which before was only offered to them, the Jews. And now they were filled with anger. So they took their anger out on Paul and Silas for bringing the word to their synagogue. And worse yet, their synagogue was now filled with all these Gentiles. Verse, verses 46 and 47. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary for the word of God should be spoken to you first. And since you rejected it and judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be, for salvation to the ends of the earth now the jews were having a difficult time to understand that this jesus their supposedly promised messiah had now come to the world to save the whole world not just the jews and because of their unbelief they took their confusion out in anger toward paul and refused to accept what he was saying the Gentiles, on the other hand, were delighted that they too could have eternal life, and as such, many came to the Lord. And then finally, verse 48 And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been pointed to eternal life believed. You know, that same offer is for us today, is for everyone today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. There we have it, chapter 13, and we will continue in chapter 14. And until then, God bless you, and we will talk at a later time. Bye-bye now.